This is Total Retail Tech Insights. The content retail executives need to optimize their use of technology throughout their organizations. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Total Retail Tech Insights. I'm Joe Keenan, Editor-in-Chief of Total Retail. I am joined on today's episode by Jason Stuckey, who is the General Manager of Linworks. Thanks for joining me today, Jason. Thanks for having me, Joe. So to get us started, I want to have you tell our audience a little bit about Linworks for those that might not be familiar with the company. And then the second part of that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your professional career, uh, particularly your background in e-commerce? Sure. I'll, I'll actually start with my background because it kind of dovetails into the Linworks story. But uh, I have a non-standard route if you look at it on paper. I started in advertising uh put put some cool kids on some cameras trying to sell some products didn't have a name for it didn't have a platform for it at the time uh but that that kind of now is known as influencer commerce uh and then from there uh, i i ended up getting introduced to some e-commerce pioneers adam goldenberg and don wrestler of, of, of textile uh and my job with them was to mimic the retail experience as much as possible with content and build out a framework for pumping out a ton of content uh, to support the, the brands that we were launching. And uh, we, we didn't know what we were doing, but we knew that there was a lot of potential. And over the years, we, we continued to build momentum and really built a framework for launching direct-to-consumer brands. Uh, but between the, the, the decade that I was with those two, we launched about 11 direct-to-consumer brands out of what's now known, actually recently rebranded as Textile OS, uh, which is the operating system for launching direct-to-consumer fashion brands. Uh, some of those brands are Savage X Fenty with Rihanna, JustFab, and ShoeDazzle, uh, and one that's uh, on the verge of going public, which is Fabletics uh, with Kate Hudson. So uh, while I was there, I uh, saw a lot of the, the challenges that direct-to-consumer brands faced and got introduced randomly to the team at Linworks, uh, who happened to address one of those big challenges, which is inventory. And so I was really intrigued by what they were doing and the way that they were attempting to solve the problem and jumped on board with them. And uh, what we do at Linworks is uh, we, we solve for that multi-channel inventory and order management challenge. Uh, so it's a SaaS platform that helps brands like Textile and Fabletics deploy their products across multiple channels simultaneously while maintaining really a single pane of glass on the back end from click to ship. Uh, so we get to work with some of the world's fastest growing brands like Oatly and 10,000, uh, as well as some large companies like Disney and Ford who are fundamentally modernizing their longstanding business models to a direct-to-consumer approach. So it's a lot of fun, fast-paced, really exciting area to be in. Yeah, no, that's certainly true. And, you know, I'm interested uh, in the perspective, obviously, over the last year and a half, even longer at this point, brands have been seeking out more direct-to-consumer options as uh, the retail industry has obviously uh, evolved and had to uh, based upon what we've seen for the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on the industry. So tell us a little bit about how you would describe the state of the retail industry now and, and some of the changes that we've seen. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the headlines are starting to pop up now, but we've known uh, internally in the industry that the supply chain is an absolute mess. So you're starting to see shipping costs go from, from $3,500 to ship a container from China to the port of Long Beach 
to $26,000, $27,000, so an eight to 10X increase, inventory shortages, backup at those ports, labor shortages, uh, and sellers getting desperate. I read an article last week about John Lewis in the UK chartering boats for the holidays to ensure that they, they, they avoid as much disruption as possible. So I think COVID has really thrown a wrench in, in the supply chain. But second to that, it's accelerated e-commerce. It's e-commerce e exploded in importance. I know that's obvious, but um, ultimately what COVID did was accelerate longstanding trends, like a longstanding transition that was already in process prior to COVID. So if you look at where we are, we're in this kind of two decade shift from retail first, digital second to digital first and retail second. And that makes sense because e-commerce has only really taken about 16% of overall retail sales. So it's kind of been an afterthought for, for companies uh, for a long period of time. But in COVID, that ticked upwards of above 30%. And so uh, this is really that, that indicator moment. I call it the Napster indicator for the retail industry. Um, similar to how Napster popped up, the, the record industry ignored it. And two decades later, now streaming is the, the leading way forward. COVID's really brought about and accelerated a lot of the things uh, that uh, uh, like buy online, pick up in store, um, the prevalence of marketplaces, uh, the need to deliver a lot of convenience uh, and think digital first. Uh, now is that kind of indicator moment for the retail industry that, that this is the time to make that shift to a digital first strategy uh, or face uh, an unfortunate future ahead. So one of the key, and I think the, one of the key words you mentioned there, Jason, is convenience. And you know, for many consumers that typically wouldn't have considered themselves digital first or online only shoppers, uh, the pandemic forced them in many respects to become that digital first shopper for at least a certain period of time. And they, you know, they realized and you know, some of the conveniences that were available. You talked about kind of the growth of buy online, pick up in store or curbside. Um, some of these changes that we saw and, and these conveniences that were um, being even pushed, uh, you know, as you noted, they, these things were coming, but they were even accelerated at a rapid, more rapid pace, obviously, during the last year plus, which leads into my question around, okay, now that we've kind of seen this change in consumer behavior, how should manufacturers and retailers and brands be pivoting to succeed in the future, given that the shifts that we've seen over the last year plus? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting shift across each of those sectors. Let's start with manufacturers. Manufacturers probably have the easiest, most obvious transition. They need to adapt to a direct-to-consumer strategy. Um, we ran a study at Linworks across a thousand customers, both in the US and uh, in, in Western Europe, and found that you know, on average, those consumers are making seven stops along their buyer's journey before purchasing. And more interestingly, 91% of those consumers are starting their search on marketplaces. And so the challenge is really for sellers, they have to be across all of these channels in order to be successful. And if you think about it, um, they, they, margin is taken by each one of these channels. And so the only way to really truly make this work is for sellers to shed anything that doesn't add value to the, that buyer's journey. Uh, and ultimately that means going direct to consumers. That's where they have the most margin. 
Um, and that's where they can get the margin to support a, a strong direct-to-consumer uh, strategy. Um, it's really trimming the fat from channels that are no longer adding value, uh, especially because consumers have more choice and they're seeking uh, that choice across more channels than ever before. The, the, the harder play is for distributors and, and general retailers. These guys are really in between a rock and a hard place, uh, and they have to find a way to offer more value to the consumers. For example, easy returns for marketplaces like Amazon, like Kohl's has been doing, um, elevated services like concierge or buy online, pick up in store. Um, they really have to reevaluate uh, what value they're bringing into the pipeline. Um, so when it comes to some distributors, though, they're even thinking along the lines of, uh, of how do they become a marketplace? They already have an audience. So the team at Petco, for example, is obviously built a very strong network of people who come shop for pet products. Um, they're rethinking, how do we become a really strong leading marketplace for pet products? Neiman Marcus, same thing, curated fashion. How do we become that curated fashion marketplace online? Dick Sporting Goods, similar things for sporting wear. So, um, and then the last thing is thinking about how as a retailer, a general retailer, you can start to inject more exclusive lines, almost pivoting to becoming a manufacturer of products and white labeling your own products in your store so that they're not distributed elsewhere and you can control that pipeline. You see that strategy, for example, at Bed Bath & Beyond. So like I said, we're, we're 10 years into a 20 year transition uh, and it's, it's definitely accelerating and causing pressure in the system and ultimately across manufacturers, distributors and retailers, something's got to give and they have to change and, and now is that time. So I want to follow up on the one point you were making regards to marketplaces. Obviously, uh, you know, Amazon, the leader in that space, but there's others out there in the market as well. How do you foresee or where do you see marketplaces coming into play as brands look to build out a successful D2C strategy? What should they be thinking about uh, when they go to uh, potentially sell on these different marketplaces that are out there? Well, marketplaces have to play a role. Marketplaces drive about 50% of all e-commerce transactions, and they, they grew in importance over the pandemic. GMV, gross merchandise volume across these channels grew about 80% over the last 18 months. And so they're, they're an important part to a direct-to-consumer strategy uh, where consumers are, are spending a ton of time across these platforms. And the reason for that is because they're masters of engagement. So think of it this way, as a brand, you're spending a lot of money, millions of dollars to attract eyeballs to your site. But oftentimes you're paying these channels, you're paying Facebook, which is on its way to becoming a marketplace. You're paying Google, same thing, paying Amazon. Uh, and ultimately uh, they are spending billions of dollars and your money on keeping consumers engaged on their platform. The other thing is that marketplaces drive convenience. And so you'd mentioned this earlier, uh, consumers care about convenience. And in our study, we found that 76% of consumers, three quarters, uh, cite convenience as their number one priority when it comes to making a purchase and marketplaces offer that. So really, you know, as a brand, it's not a matter of if you participate in marketplaces, it's when and how you participate in marketplaces. And ultimately where this is all heading is it's always, you know, e-commerce and commerce in general always trends towards the path of least resistance. 
And we've gone from going into stores to going to websites to ultimately consumers wanting a singular experience, which was Amazon. And now we're in this big transition period, which we call the effortless economy, where consumers have commerce coming to them. Uh, commerce is meeting them where they're spending a lot of their time. Uh, and, it, and that's happening increasingly across these channels that are very rapidly becoming marketplaces or are already long-standing successful marketplaces. I guess one of the considerations for brands as they build out that DSC strategy as we've talked about and, and specific to marketplaces is the trade-off. Obviously, you know, the, the eyeballs and the traffic that are able to generate to those types of, you know, Amazon and other marketplaces uh, is hard to match. So there's obviously the value there. I guess the trade-off is the giving up some margin as you've already spoken a little bit about. The other piece that you didn't mention I would be interested in your take on is kind of giving up some of that first party data as well, uh, which can be so valuable to brands. What's your take on that in terms of how marketplaces and you know brands considering selling on marketplaces and the value of that data that they might be losing out on potentially? Yeah, that's a great question. And we get this question a lot. I mean, when you think about the behemoth, Amazon, they don't really give you a lot of data that as a brand you can action to drive a better consumer experience. But like I said earlier, consumers drive trends and you know, consumers want a more convenient but a more personalized experience. And the only way to do that for brands is to have more data and to centralize that data across all their different selling channels to ensure that they understand what consumers want across each touch point. And so though Amazon doesn't quite offer that right now, plenty of marketplaces do. And that's part of building a really successful marketplace strategy. So if you think about you know, the biggest player, uh, biggest, biggest area where this is kind of played out on, on the main stage is between Nike and Amazon. So Nike tried on Amazon. In fact, Amazon actually drove more traffic to Nike.com uh, when they were on Amazon but ultimately Nike cares about offering a really strong brand experience and they weren't able to get that data as big as they were from Amazon. And so what did they do? They pivoted to Zalando, who was more than willing to give them that information. So ultimately the marketplace and the brand could go out to market and succeed together. And so I do see you know, brands, and I always tell brands, look, your brand is your power and that's your control. And when you do go to marketplaces, you give up some of that, but be selective about the marketplaces you go to um, and choose ones that are more willing to uh, give you that information you need to drive a, a better consumer experience. And over time, as margin eats into the big players like Amazon, ultimately they'll probably have to give in and placate, uh, placate this need or meet this need of sellers uh, or, or, or face heavy competition from other players. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And sort of being judicious about the marketplaces you're selling on, what makes sense for your brand and your brand's needs, as you just stated. I think that's a, a good way to, to think about it. The other piece that I wanted to get into a little bit with you, Jason, and you mentioned it is this kind of Facebook and these other social platforms that are making commerce such a big, or they're making, you know, that, that, that shift into commerce, um, you know, more and more each day. Tell us a little bit about the role of social commerce and how you think it will, imp you know, how big of an impact it will have on accelerating the prevalence of digital first deployment for brands that are thinking uh, of additional sources of, of ways to sell their product. Well, the big brands that we're speaking with are all talking about social commerce. And these platforms are not there. Commerce is hard. And so Facebook, Google, Snapchat, TikTok, 
they're all working on this and so solving for commerce is incredibly difficult. It's much harder than, than solving for marketing, uh, but ultimately they're hell bent on doing it. Um, they are, as I said earlier, masters of entertainment. I laugh because I think, you know, Facebook's greatest weapon is the fact that it has an unlimited supply of free content that people engage with on a daily basis. And so, as we said earlier, look, people are gonna be consuming products where they spend most of their time and where are they spending most of their time on these social channels. So it's, it, even though social commerce is not quite there, I think there's about 4% of overall e-commerce transactions are happening on these channels. The pace is going to accelerate dramatically. And all you have to do is really look at the dynamics between the generations. Millennials are spending about 40 to 50% more time than Gen X on social media. Gen Z is spending 20 to 25% more time on social media than millennials. That's about four and a half hours a day. So between sleep, work, and other things that, that Gen Zers have to do, there's not much other time in the day, uh, uh, and they're spending most of that free time on these channels. These channels are, their targeting is, is fantastic, and it only gets better over time. And you, you have to kind of look at this, this new generation as the digital generation. They grew up with these social channels and these social channels have a lot of information about them that they can use to target and meet them with products that they want to consume. And so, you know, it's kind of that old adage, you get in what you put out. Well, the digital generations have put a lot into these social channels and now that's giving back in very, very targeted products to the point where it's kind of scary, isn't it? Like you can be talking about cat food and then 30 minutes later, you're getting ads for cat food. Um, they're just that good. And uh, as they make more robust tools for enabling e-commerce transactions, uh, meeting that, that kind of targeting ability and that strength and target ability over time with these tools will lead to a very successful play in e-commerce for them. And these digital first mindsets that the brands are developing and been forced to develop, um, and specific to social commerce, when the, you know the enablement of e-commerce transaction, I guess that that's mobile first, right, Jason? That's that's you know the, largely you foresee those transactions taking place on mobile devices. Absolutely. So just shifting gears for a second, um, you've talked a little bit about um, you know the supply chain and how that uh, is a concern. You know, there's there's been a, a lot of written and said about. You know, are goods going to, you know, not only the cost of getting goods over here, but, you know, once you do get gifts, goods rather into ports, you know, and you into your distribution center, do you have enough labor to get that distributed quickly enough to your stores, to your different, you know, last mile fulfillment centers before delivery? Um, so tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're expecting this holiday season and how brands should prepare to maximize uh, their success opportunities? What what should they be thinking about? What should they be doing as they look to optimize Q4? Yeah, we. I, I was in a panel uh, about a month and a half ago talking about the holiday season and, and the panelist or the moderator ran a poll of, of a couple hundred sellers that were on the call and said, you know, when are you guys preparing for Black Friday, Cyber Monday? And the overwhelming majority <laughs> said October. And that was really scary for the, the me and the other panelists. Uh, and I think what's happened is they've, they've kept their heads down because things have been so crazy over the last 18 months 
that they, they haven't really had a whole lot of time to think about what they're going to do in Q4. And as the supply chain problems start to mount and pile up, uh, a lot of sellers are going into this holiday season underprepared. Uh, and so the first thing that we say is, look, there's going to be a wild ride. So make sure that you build flexibility into your organization through communication. Um, this, the, the CMO over at uh, Foot Locker was talking about how they're really focusing on internal communication to ensure that the, the people on the front lines talking to uh, customers and dealing with orders on a daily basis are directly connected into the executives to ensure that they can move quickly throughout the holidays. So that's number one, is just make sure you prepare your organization regardless of whatever state you're in. The second thing is take a look at your discount strategy. Uh, discounting is obviously a huge play to drive volume, but without the inventory to support that volume, you know how do you how do you derive a successful strategy to encourage customers to make bigger purchases with you? And a lot of brands really haven't taken the time to reevaluate their discounting strategy and make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that that inventory is there to support that strategy. So that's the second thing is is look at that strategy. The third thing is, as part of your strategy, you should really think about your gift cards. Um, ultimately, if a customer comes to your site and everything's sold out, but they still wanna buy that gift from you, the best way to capture that revenue now when they have intent to buy is to offer them some sort of gift card. And I, I tell my friends and my family, this is gonna be the holiday season of IOUs and gift cards. So sellers really need to think about other ways that they can capture that sale without trading, you know, a good uh, that that they may not have. And uh, and again, a lot of them really haven't thought about that gift card strategy or even deployed a gift card strategy before. But it's something that they should strongly consider. The fourth thing that you want to do is you want to invest in your e-commerce technology stack. We see a lot of brands struggling with their monolithic or proprietary systems that they've built. And they've invested millions of dollars into these systems to, uh, to be flexible to their business model. But e-commerce is moving so fast these days that you really are, are hindered by these large monolithic systems that require customization or millions of dollars worth of work to connect into these systems uh, like your shopping channels. And so what we're telling brands is look at it from this perspective, find built for purpose technology, find technologies that are built for e-commerce because of the pace of innovation and the speed that things are moving. You really need best in class technology in order to support a successful e-commerce strategy moving forward. So one of the things I wanted to get your perspective on, Jason, from the brands you're working with at Linworks is, is the timing of this year's holiday season. Are you hearing from the brands that they anticipated uh, consumers purchasing earlier than maybe even in years past or, you know, consumers might not wait till Cyber Black Friday or Cyber Monday because they're concerned they're not going to get their gifts in time given the supply chain challenges that are out there. Are you foreseeing that that, that kind of an earlier uh, push to get some holiday shopping done is is one thing that at least that's something I'm hearing from some of the retailers and brands I've been speaking to. I'm just curious to get your thoughts there as well. Yeah, two things. One, uh, by I think early August, 30% of consumers or over 30% of consumers had already made a purchase for the holiday season. And that was a record. Um, consumers really have been trained quite well to buy products around these holiday events. 
But as the news about the supply chain starts to, to permeate into the consumer layer, they're now rethinking their strategies and starting to look around and make more purchases. So we're definitely hearing that from sellers. And you know, we see the order and inventory data. We're seeing you know, continued growth uh, uh, week after week across all of our sellers as we get closer to the holiday season. Um, the, the second thing is for, for how sellers should be seeing these holiday events. Typically, you know, you have Black Friday and then it expands into Cyber Monday and then there's Cyber Week. Um, the unfortunate truth is that with where things are from a supply chain perspective, sellers should be considering these holiday events as, as extended holidays. So open up your discounts, open up your sales and your promotions early because what's happening is consumers are now going to these channels, starting to think about what they're going to buy and finding things out of stock. And so when we get to these holiday events, they're gonna be looking all over the place to complete their purchases. And that's gonna delay out their, their decision-making or their ability to close out that process of, hey, Friday through Monday, I'm gonna buy all my gifts for my family. But what happens when they get to the websites of the gifts that they want to buy and it's sold out and there's no other alternative? They're going to start to look around. And so that's going to take more time. So sellers really need to think about that from their strategy and say, hey, look, let me give consumers a little bit more time this holiday season with regards to promotions and offers so that they can go through that process and ultimately land on making a purchase with me. So let's take it next step and look beyond uh, even Q4 going into 2022. Tell us a little bit about what you're forecasting for commerce, both um, sort of in-store, uh, also e-commerce as well, and kind of what you foresee. And you, you talked about kind of building that technology infrastructure, evaluating what, what uh, your integrations. Tell us a little bit about your forecast for moving beyond the holiday and into 2022 as well. Well, the, the news is bleak right now, but I'm an optimist and we will get through this. Um, you know, if you look at where things are now, the B2B supply chain is about 20% digitized. This will change and there will be significant investments in modernizing the supply chain. That's been a longstanding problem, especially in categories like furniture, for example, which uh, it's shocking how that, that industry has gotten away with their practices for so long uh, without any sort of or with very limited digital options on the table. Um, the second thing is you'll see a lot of drop shipping. Inventory right now is a hot potato, uh, especially when it comes to retailers and distributors. They don't wanna be holding that inventory. So they're going back to brands and saying, hey, we'll send you the order, but you know, make sure that you guys deliver it and here are our terms and, and can you just take care of that for us? And so we'll see this practice continue. The last thing is more focus on LTV. Um, when I was at Textile, uh, we, we saw this early on. The cost of acquisition goes up. Uh, all, it's kind of like taxes. It'll just keep increasing. You know, it's, an, it's unavoidable. And so uh, uh, what we focused on was building a, a long-term relationship with a customer. And what brands are finding now and why e-commerce has struggled for a long time is that these big retailers and brands have gone to market and said, well, we're selling stuff online, but we're not making any money off of it. But the reality is that's how e-commerce works. And brands are starting to come around to the idea that, look, we may lose money on the first transaction, but the goal is to build a long-term relationship with customers. And what they're finding is that consumers are uh, very responsive to this. People genuinely want to have a relationship with the brands that they buy from. 
um, for a lot of key categories. And so a focus and a shift away from cost per acquisition into LTV is something that we're hearing a lot and we expect to continue. Um, so like I said, I, I'm, I, I'm positive on the future. I think it usually takes a shock to the system to really jolt things in the right direction. And COVID or not, there is going to be a reckoning at some point for commerce. Uh, the good news is that when this reckoning came, there is a very, very strong demand for products, and that will likely remain. So when sellers are, and brands are making investments in these changes, it's likely going to be met with very fast reward, especially for those who move early. Yeah, I think that last point in terms of the demand is there. So you'd rather have that you know, scenario <laughs> where the demand exists and your challenge is fulfilling that demand, whether it's through your supply chain, through your technology processes, uh, you know, meeting the demand versus vice versa, where you would rather not have you know, a situation where there wasn't demand and you, you, know, you were all ready to go, but the, the consumer wasn't ready to buy product. So I think that last point is, uh, is one to be um, you know, really drilled home is that uh, you know, to get those processes up, right and running properly, um, you have a chance really to succeed. Yeah, business is, uh, it's, it, I, I like to say business is all problems. It's just a degree of good problems and bad problems. And I think <laughs> right. when you're going into having to make significant investments, having sky high demand and sustained demand, especially throughout the, the pandemic, and you know, economists predicting that this will continue for, for the long haul, um, that's a very good problem to solve for. And so again, I'm, I'm really optimistic about it. Uh, and ultimately, I think this will just continue to move us in the right direction towards that digital first strategy. Yeah. So you've provided a lot of great insight here, a lot of advice for our audience, Jason. Why don't we end um, for our listeners that are interested in learning a little bit more about you and your company, Linworks? Where would you direct them? Uh, we'll go to our website, linworks.com slash demo, speak to one of our advisors. Uh, we've got a great team of people who really understand uh, an array of different industries uh, and can, can jump into the challenges that you're facing as a seller and provide advice on how to solve those challenges. So that's number one, great place to go. Uh, the second thing is you can find me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with sellers, uh, love talking to brands about what they're up to, what they're doing and the challenges that they're seeing. So just search me, Jason Stuckey on LinkedIn and uh, we'll connect there. Great. Well, uh, this has really been a, uh, an insightful conversation. Uh, I want to take the opportunity to thank Jason Stuckey, again, who is the general manager of Linworks for joining us on this episode of Total Retail Tech Insights. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for listening. For more information on this podcast, please check out our podcast channel page at mytotalretail.com slash podcast for show notes. Tech Insights is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe on our podcast channel page as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast. Thanks, and until next time, this has been Total Retail Tech Insights.